Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. We'd like to welcome you to Cave to the Cross Apologetics. Uh, we are continuing our discussion on Nancy Piercy's book, Finding Truth. And we have worked our way partway through the first chapter. Mm -hmm. And so now we're going to uh, continue going, finishing up uh, that chapter today and, um, and see where she leads us with this particular chapter. This chapter uh, has to do with finding the idol in the other worldview, right? That's what she's trying to help right. us to work through. Yeah. So, yeah. So the first one here, <laughs> where we left off, I believe we had just finished talking about, um, you know, is there, um, what's the commonality with regard to religions? And basically, uh, most of the things that we talk, we think are common, she suggests are not really common, but what is common is what she calls the divine, that is what they take as ultimate reality. Right, right. right? Yep. And so every religion, and then, of course, every worldview has a an ultimate reality. And so you get the conclusion then that every worldview is basically religious. Right. right? Yeah, every, every philosophy can be considered a religion. And she went through a study of uh, religion doesn't mean God, because when we think of other religions— uh, there's like not necessarily Buddhism, for instance. a godhead, yeah. and then divinity is just a uh, a word to mean the self-existent eternal reality that is the origin of everything else, hmm. and that's pretty much what everyone has. In yeah. fact, not pretty much. That is what everyone yeah. has. <laughs> there, there, there is something that uh, that uh, ties everything together, and divine is a common parlance to kind of classify that. So, so uh, we are looking now at individual worldviews kind of divine, their ultimate, ultimate. Mm -hmm. And we start with the primordial ooze. We go, <laughs> we go back, we go back to uh, Western philosophy, which uh, is kind of uh, uh, the, the cradle of philosophical civilization. Mm -hmm. And at the, least for the West. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. The priests, Socratic, uh, they uh, ignored the Olympian gods and went back to primordial substances or uh, Archie. Mm -hmm. RK, I think. Is oh, there we go. That yeah. sounds way more, way more intelligent, <laughs> uh, which are pretty much uh, water, fire, air, and earth. And uh, if you add in heart, then you get ca uh, Captain Planet. So, um, <laughs> but what, what they said is that, um, that there's some uh, more basic element. They're able to reduce even all uh, the, these four things to a single element to arrive at a fundamental unity, mm -hmm. uh, which is what... <laughs> Physicists have been trying to do for a while now with the the different type of elements, the with gravity and and uh, get to the graviton. They're trying to find this kind of unified field theory mm -hmm. that that Einstein basically the forces, right? Right. The strong force, the weak force, yeah. the electromagnetic force, right. and so on. Yeah. 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 Einstein yeah. seemed to not really work with it, but some people think that he did. And um, uh, there's there's been a, an attempt within uh, relativity to find find that uh, single. Uh, unified field theory, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, what 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 they did is um, for for some the divine substance was air, and uh, others went beyond the four elements. Pythagoras discovered the order of nature can be represented by geometry and mathematics. If you get in the study of Pythagoras, the Pythagorean theorem, there seems to be uh, some order, some <laughs> some interesting order when you study um, kind of Pythagoras and uh, the work that he did and um, the the the, the Kind of the stuff that uh, Newton would go on to discover too has mm -hmm. a lot of uh, interesting quirks. As as uh, <laughs> as it's interesting that um, that math seems to kind of unfold from itself. 
uh, almost like there's a design to it. Uh, so he went on. Uh, Pythagoras said that God is number, number is God. Uh, this this attempt mm. to uh, kind of <clears throat> distill everything down to you know the the answer forty two, <laughs> you know? and uh, uh, scripture, uh, however, um, uh, asserts that all things hold together in Christ. So it it's uh, this comparing and contrasting. Mm. So so where where we find our commonality, everything. Uh, uh, is pinpointed to Christ as 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 what uh, any Christian would say. Um, here, the the uh, Greek Socrat- pre-Socratics um, uh, also tried to find this the, distilled down into a, a single point for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you have uh, Plato and Aristotle, um, the the rational forms. Uh, if if you took a kind of a Intro to philosophy, you um, hit this, abstract concepts that make it possible to categorize the world. Um, you know, uh, out of out of all the dogs or cats, what makes them dog-like or cat-like or all, dogness? Yeah. of course. right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you cut off the tail, then which part is the cat? Well, it's the form of the cat. Um, so yeah, uh, so uh, Plato went on to say that. Uh, um, that these forms exist in ideal realms separate from matter, uh, forms as eternal, uncreated, unchangeable, universal, and self-existing. Sounds like a definition really close to ultimate reality. <laughs> ultimate reality, yeah. yeah. And the divine. Yeah. Is this divine claim? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Human nature is, is the form shared by all human beings. What makes us all human is that we all are human-like, I guess. Justice is the form shared by all just actions. And it is what makes them just. Mm-hmm. Forms are the ultimate explainer to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of forms, Aristotle, here we must be the divine, and this must be the first and most dominant principle. For Plato, the preeminent form is the form of the good. To see good involves a conversion, a turning of the soul from darkness to light. True philosopher is the person who contemplates this divine order. So very sounds less philosophical and more... You know, uh, theological. Mm-hmm. If, if you had to put this in another context, uh, in Romans one, however, we learn that idols result from uh, divinizing something imminent Im, uh, within the cosmic order. Right. That description certainly applies to these forms that uh, that Plato enjoyed. Uh, they are not personal, uh, although they just they transcend the material world. They do not tra- transcend the cosmic order as a whole. Uh, they seem to exist in nature, um, so uh, we can't uh, ab- get to an uh, an absolute ultimate uh, something that uh, is outside of of the the order. It's within it. Um, uh, in a Christian sense, Plato's form of of good is not divine. It's divine because it is the highest being in the cosmos. So the, the good yeah. is what he yeah. considered yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the capital good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aristotle even defined God as pure form. Um, so, if uh, again, if you take an a, a intro to a philosophy class, this is kind of the... Uh, uh, God is the ultimate of ultimates. So mm-hmm. he's the ultimate form. Prime mover, you know, the, 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 where everything started from, that right. kind of stuff for Aristotle. Right. Yeah. So that's all the uh, kind of Greek Greek folks, uh, what what they viewed as as it, the either forms or elements. They all tried to distill down into to one thing, one being, and then from there derive out, yeah. which we still continue to try and do. Yeah. And and it's what everyone does. So that's what uh, Nancy Pierce is doing in in this uh, portion of the book. Yeah. 
Good. So she then asked us, well, what about modern philosophies, right? What, what do they do in terms of this um, coming up with the idol and ultimate reality? And uh, she says, uh, you know, yes, they do the same thing. The prevailing view among the new atheists, among which much of the academic world, is scientific materialism. Right. Uh, what is ultimate, um, ultimately real is matter, mo- molecules in motion. And so materialism uh, is committed to the dogma that uh, physics explains all of chemistry. Chemistry explains all of biology and biology explains the human mind, which with nothing left over. Even uh, the mind. Human mind is explained in terms of physical, mm-hmm. physical st- things. Right. Now, of course, uh, this is also materialism is also called physicalism. Right? And again, it's the same idea that everything is is uh, the the physical uh, universe is all that there is. Right. That's, the, that's what right. everything is made up of. Yeah. You, 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 your personality are synopsis firing off uh, your collection of your memories that are just uh, a, a bag of goo that's sliding around in your head. And, you know, you get brain damage and there goes part of your personality uh, that's not your. There's no ultimate transcendent person in you. Right. That's just non-material. Mo- yeah, molecules yeah. that have motioned in a different way. Then right, right, and uh, and and so is this view religious? You know, of course it is. Right. Um, she uh, quotes John Searle. Uh, there is a sense in which materialism is the religion of our time. End quote. Right. So uh, yes, this this view is of course religious. One uh, another writer says, "quote I believe a material explanation will be found, but that confidence comes from notice this my faith that science is up to the task of explaining in purely material or naturalistic terms the whole history of life." End quote. So, you know, he concludes my faith is well founded, but it's still a faith, right? It's a faith that science, in terms of materialistic views and materialistic explanations, will be able to, to uh, find um, this, um, you know, this whole what right. the life is all about. Yeah, right? and if you if you want to take uh, faith and throw it out of there, then okay, he's confident. Well. Confidence is where we derive the term faith from. So, yeah, yeah. so that, that's pretty much all it is. So yeah. when when you know you say, are, uh, do you believe that your spouse is faithful? Do you have confidence in your spouse? Is what you're right. saying? That, yeah. So you're using that yeah. word in the same way, right? right. And she quotes so uh, Carl Sagan, that famous. Uh, uh, quote from the you know cosmos yeah. um, right the cosmos is all there is or ever was or ever will be clearly that's a statement of materialism or physicalism right mm-hmm. so that's you know that's it that's that's the uh, the ultimate reality uh, Carl Sagan was suggesting um, she also quotes uh, Dr. Neil um, deGrasse Tyson right um, he defined uh, Tyson sometimes called uh, his followers sometimes call his position Tysonism <laughs> right um, um, <clears throat> it's defined as a secular religion based on the philosophy of, Ast- of, of, of Dr. Tyson right the page list under the so under um, uh, under the category church religious organization Tysonism is listed mm-hmm. in uh, you know in in, um, in this particular uh, uh, book so you know materialism is 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 the idol the ultimate reality that uh, is much enforced during our time now she says it's really a, a cluster it's a family of related philosoph- philosophies right for example when we apply um, 
uh, when we apply materialism or physicalism <clears throat> to the economic realm, materialism gives rise to theories like Marxism, <laughs> right? So that's just a materialistic theory that's applied to the economic realm. Right. right. Even even within Marxism, you have the idea that it, is humanity at its, uh, its base concept good, predominantly good? Yeah. And they say yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, it makes a moral claim with, within itself. Um, and obviously, you're going to have those people that say, no, my Marxist view is, you know, Lenin Stalinist. It's it's uh, anarcho communist. So there, there are different forms of it. But uh, for the most part, um, um you know, when it comes to human explanation, there is still a moral claim, and then from there it derives from from um, these these materialistic principles. Yeah, too. good. Yeah, and in fact, she kind of lays out here how we how Marxists, in terms of materialism, gets us to to this particular uh, end. Right? She says, "What are the log logical steps that uh, led from materialism to Marxism?" Uh, with its economic determinism. She says, well, bear in mind that human nature is always defined by its relationship to ultimate reality. So, you know, our relationship to ultimate reality, that's how kind of how we define humans, mm -hmm. right? So if the ultimate is matter, then humans are defined by the way that they relate to matter. And how do people relate to matter? Well, they make things out of it, right? They manipulate it, that kind of stuff. They mold and, and manipulate and manufacture items that they need, clothes, houses, tables, and that sort of thing. And so in Marxism, the tools we use to shape matter are called the means of production, right? So that's that's where she's going. Thus, she says the history of civilization hinges on who owns the means of production. And so in a Marxist economic conditions, um, the, the idea, the economic conditions for Marxists then become the ultimate explainer of what's going on. Yeah. And so it gets us to, to that same type of deal. Yeah, and obviously we're covering these very briefly in an overview. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of good work could come from just analyzing Marxism from, from that point and drilling down from uh, it's it's divinity and then working up to to where it lies for uh, explaining the world uh, explaining how uh, we got here right. and explaining kind of human behavior um, and and so uh, I'm sure people have done that uh, and uh, uh, those resources are out there but uh, it's really interesting that that um, we can do this hmm. uh, so another one is uh, empiricism. Uh, it's an uh, only valid form of knowledge consists of empirical verified facts. So uh, we, we tend to get this in, in our everyday life. Um, uh, we, have, we rely ultimately on empirical facts, uh, what we see, feel, weigh, measure, um, only what we can kind of feel out with our senses is what's real. Mm -hmm. So there's, mm -hmm. there's no supernatural, uh, there's no mind, uh, there's, there's a brain cause that you can touch and measure, right. um, f firing off of synapses. That's, that's, that's your only thought. There's nothing that transcends outside of, of kind of those five senses and, and the relation to, to them. Um, as a result, empiricism does not consider uh, concepts uh, to be truths at all, but merely individual values and preferences, uh, th those things that are more theological concepts. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a big uh, proponent of this is good friend David Hume, That's who right. we can't seem to get away from. He <laughs> declared that if a book uh, contains anything beyond empirical science, it ought to be burned, yeah, which burn to it. me sounds like a moral claim, but <laughs> hey, you know, whatever. 
Uh, is this an, another idol? Certainly, empiricism makes an idol of the sensory realm. It's the ultimate explainer. It, it drills down to um, your sense, mm. and, and and really your sense, not even um, uh, anybody else's. But uh, um, that's the, uh, the 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 way we can know the world. Um, a few years ago, a survey of philosophers at Lean University asked which non-living philosopher would they most identified with, and we learned this from our last book as well. David Hume was was the big guy. Right. Philosophy spill out uh, from classrooms into popular culture, and there's a nice little Star Trek uh, one here, and I could really go in a lot to this, and I would love to do a podcast on all the philosophy of Star Trek one day, but um, uh, I'll, I'll skip that. Uh, so, uh, and and she goes in here to uh, to to to. to kind of uh, sh show how even um, within pop culture, um, empiricism seems to be a big, uh, uh, have, have big proponents. So uh, if you ask Christians for empirical evidence that Jesus was Messiah, they'd probably list historical evidences of the resurrection, factual uh, evidence for the claims of the New Testament, manuscript evidence for the reliability of the biblical text, archaeological evidence for the events in scripture, and so on. Uh, the Christian message rests on events and can be seen, heard, and touched. So we're not outside of saying yeah, yeah. we, you know, we these don't are disagree important. that you right. know there's that empiricism right. is important, right? Yeah. And helps us in terms of gaining knowledge. Sure, right? Yeah, yeah. it's 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 one of those <laughs> means by which we gain knowledge. And uh, when we get into the the second part, uh, if we would were to deny this, we would um, actually be facing uh, an idol as well because yeah. we wouldn't be. Um, we would be reducing humanity uh, incorrectly. Um, and so uh, uh, no matter how strong the evidence that any claim that there exists something beyond what is known by empirical science is attacked as irrational. Yeah. And uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you know, we're saying it's just not the whole story. Right. 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 And these philosophers and philosophies tend, tend to try to make it the whole story. Right. All right. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So uh, so then we move. So so what happens? She says, uh, uh, if uh, what is real is defined in terms of what can be known by the five senses, then reality seems to include only the material world, right? Because that's all that we can experience by our five senses. But if you track empiricism, she says to its logical conclusion, it takes a surprising turn inward right towards the mind mm -hmm. right it signals an important and this signals an important trend in western thought from materialism to mentalism right and so she tells us think of it this way empiricism says that the only source of genuine knowledge is sense impressions all right so just what we can experience by right. our senses right sight sounds and so forth but how do we know whether our sense impressions are true and accurate Right. I mean, it's not like we can step outside of our mind right, or our head and check the world against our sense impressions. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. So how do we know? Right. And they can fool us. Right. Sure. You put a spoon in a glass of water and it looks bent. Mm -hmm. Right. And so train tracks meet at a point. All yeah, the time. yeah. Yeah. Right. So how do we test our, 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 our sense experience? He says the answer is that for the strict empiricist, we can't test them. Right? right. And so it's impossible to step out of our mind, as I mentioned, and try to make these tests. And so empiricist philosophers themselves recognize then that this is a problem. What's the problem? They're stuck in their minds. Right. That's as far as they can go. Right. According to empiricism, our mind constructs the concepts of a table out of a cluster of sensations. But we cannot step outside of our minds to discover what the eternal world is like in itself. 
we're kind of stuck in our minds, right? And help, help. you know, yeah, yeah. Right? She quotes uh, Morpheus in the in the Matrix, Matrix, which is another movie that we could probably spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Oh man. I, <laughs> if it wasn't for the Matrix, would would philosophy be where it's at today? Yeah. <laughs> so he says, "How do you refine uh, define reality?" Right. Remember that? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so you know, uh, if you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simple. Electrical uh, signals interpreted by your brain. Do you right? think that's air you're breathing? Yeah. <laughs> so Hume seems to have, uh, you know, accepted this bizarre uh, conclusion. She tells us, right? He wrote. <clears throat> Let us chase our imaginations to the heavens or to the utmost limits of the universe. We never really advance a step beyond ourselves. We live in the universe of the imagination. So there we are. We're, we're stuck in it. And even Hume realized it, right? And uh, so the upshot, she says, is that if we begin solely with sense impressions, then we will end with sense impressions, right? right? And uh, so using sensory experience alone, there's no way to build a bridge from the internal mental images to the external world. We're trapped in the prison house of our minds. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's pretty scary. Yeah, right. <laughs> the whole brain the vat or, yeah. um, you know, you, you don't really ever think of yourself as a brain inside your head, inside the body. You know, the you're not praying from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles being carried along by his, <laughs> by his body. Um, you know, so it, it there seems like there, there's an issue there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, the kind of competing uh, rival to empiricism is rationalism. Right. Uh, but again, <clears throat> we're trapped inside our mind with rationalism because rationalism claims the sole source and standard of knowledge are ideas in the mind known by reason. Mm -hmm. So by reason. So uh, it's impossible to step outside our reasons, of course, again, to test those ideas as being accurate. Like empiricism, so same problem. it lacks right. a way to bridge the gap from the internal ideas to the external wor world. Right. You know, the, um, does does uh, the the steak in the Matrix taste like steak because uh, that's what steak tastes like, or is that what you know the <laughs> the, the molecules are, are telling you? So yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, the electrochemical yeah, processes it's, it's are just, there. It's yeah. just how do I know your steak tastes like my steak? <laughs> I think they use chicken though. <laughs> they, they did use chicken. Yes. Uh, so. Uh, he goes. They go on to say that uh, philosophers began to search for some deeper source of truth, not in any of the theological authorities, of course, uh, or some sacred books, um, and certainly not in some uh, uh, civic institutions engaged in armed warfare with one another. In fact, not in any external source at all. Their hope was to find a method located solely within the individual, rooted in the immediate data of the consciousness. Mm -hmm. And uh, the founder of empiricism was uh, Francis Bacon. And uh, um, he outlined a program designed to purge our minds of all the popular notions picked up from our education and environment to begin anew from the very foundations, mm -hmm. which good luck with that. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, forget about everything that you know about, you know. Everything. Yeah, pillows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Uh, what were the foundations? In his view, the simplest, most direct form of knowledge were sense perceptions, mm -hmm. sights and sounds. Mm -hmm. He proposed to rebuild knowledge on the foundation of sensations. Founder of rationalism was uh, Descartes. And Descartes kind of on our side. He's, mm -hmm. he, he, he was a Christian or, or at least a person who believed in God. And mm -hmm. he uh, went into a cabin for 
three days, and yeah. after three days, he kind of started the new modern age, which yeah. I do have to say is pretty impressive, no, yeah. matter, no matter who you are. Uh, he proposed this idea to purge our minds of every fuzzy and half-baked idea, everything that could possibly be doubted until yeah. we reach a foundation so doubt that cannot everything. be doubted. Yeah. Yeah. Doubt everything until right. we get to the bottom yeah. line, right? Yeah. Even if all my ideas were delusions, he argued, there is still a self who is experiencing those delusions. This is the meaning of his famous phrase, I think, therefore I am. Yeah. He hoped that the clear and distinct ideas in the mind would be the ultimate foundation to which we build knowledge. And, of course, there are a lot of people who have uh, even attacked I and think and I again and <laughs> yeah. am. So, yeah. so uh, um, he, he tried to Some distill it down. Some people say that he kind of got the cart before the the, the horse, oh, right? Oh. It's I, I am before I think. <laughs> right. <laughs> the desk cart before the horse. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Both Bacon and Descartes expressed some level of Christian conviction. Uh, nevertheless, philosophies they proposed did not treat God as the final source of truth. Instead, they replaced God with the individual consciousness. Again, that's what uh, that's especially what Descartes did. Uh, he was trying to reason up to God from the individual, and um, uh, Nancy Pierce is trying to point to the fact that um, the direction was going the wrong way. We seem to need to um, have this uh, um, postulation that uh, God is the ultimate authority. And uh, from there, we, we get um, the I am. Mm, mm. As philosophers say, that they turn to first-person standpoint into the path to certainty. Thus, it would be immune to any external criticism and challenge. Like the foundation of a house, it would provide a solid, infallible foundation to build the edifice of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And a bit, like I said, it, it, it helped usher in the kind of modern worldview. And, right. and I think most debates um, from... A religious standpoint or within the scientific realm um, all have this attempt to trying to say is it true to me then right. uh, and then can I convince you and then can I convince everybody else I think that's uh, kind of where our modern debate practice um, kind of uh, comes from too. yeah and so she tells us that clearly enlightenment thinkers you know like these folks that we've been talking about we're seeking a God substitute just as uh, Roman one, Romans 1 says, they fastened on something within creation to serve in the place of God as their secure and certain source of truth, right? The ultimate explainer mm -hmm. kind of thing, the, the, uh, the fixed foundation of knowledge, right? That's what Descartes was after. That's what all these folks were after, right? Bacon's empiricism appealed to the authority of the senses. Descartes' rationalism appealed to the authority of the intellect, right? So you get down to this thing. So in the end, she says, ironically, the search for godlike knowledge was restricted to the tiny universe of the self because they all in at least these two, in trapping us in our minds, right? right? Most okay. philosophers, she says, and philosophies are, most philosophies rather, are born with when someone stumbles on one of the undeniable facts of human experience and then claims to have discovered the ultimate, right? This is the ultimate, an infallible <laughs> foundation of all knowledge. And so Bacon recognized that in practice. No one can deny the testimony of the senses. We cannot function in the world unless we trust the basic reality of the senses. And so that must be the deal, right? For Bacon, that was the deal. For Descartes, he stumbled upon another undeniable experience, our sense of, of self or personal uh, existence. Uh, even if uh, we can be... Uh, uh, induced to doubt everything, right? He, he argued there's still a self that is doing the doubting. So rationalism takes this fact of experience and absolutizes it, she tells us, mm -hmm. seeking to build a full-blown philosophy on it. But if you begin with ideas in the mind, right, that is where you will end. 
you're trapped, right? You'll be trapped in the prison house of your mind. And so every non-biblical philosophy, she tells us, fastens on something in creation to become its idol, right? Something known by general revelation and then tries to build a system of truth off that foundation. So our experience of the created world are merely, though, data that need to be explained. They are signposts of God, of a transcendent creator, not the deal in itself, the ultimate, you know, reality. And so that's where these folks missed it. We misread, she says, the sign if we treat them as sources of ultimate truth in themselves. Invariably, they turn into dead ends when we try to do that with Mm -hmm. them, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, it just seems that empiricism and rationalism has it all wrong. We're all trapped in our mind. Clearly, the next step is to just deny the external right. world. Just wipe it out. Yeah. Right. So, so uh, what I see, what I perceive, what I uh, think about uh, the ball falling off the cliff—that's just you know, gobbledygook. <laughs> I, I, that, that that doesn't even exist. Instead, though, my mind creates the world. Ah, there uh, you go. Yeah. And so, of course, this is uh, our good friend Emmanuel Kant, and. Uh, you kind of get into, I guess, metaphysical classes if you want to uh, look into this, or uh, philosophy of uh, science. Yeah, epistemology, uh, well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his innovation was to suggest that the mind does not merely reflect the structure of the world. Instead, it actively imposes structure on the world uh, and, and order. Uh, for Kant, reality as we know it is largely constructed of the human mind. Hmm. So uh, I always get these mixed up. So it's, it's uh, I don't perceive... Or I, I'm, I'm not. There's no table here, but what I'm doing is I'm perceiving things that I would call a table. Yeah. So yeah, and it's kind of really abstract, right? So for instance, abstract ideas like uh, causality. We impose causality on the world. The world isn't cause and effect. That we do that with our minds. So it's really these. He has uh, these twelve categories that he works through. And uh, he says that those are the things that we're, qu- we're equipped with, they're innate within us, and we kind of impose them on the mind. So that's the kind of thing. They're really abstract types of yeah. things. Yeah. So according <coughs> to Kant, uh, raw material of knowledge are sense impressions flooding in the mind through our eyes and ears to a jumbled chaos. How do those perceptions get organized in a coherent and tangible whole? By the creative action of the human mind. So we're kind of the, uh, the creators in a sense. Mm. Kant proposed that the mind supplies the necessary ordering principles such as the before and after, the cause and effect, space, time, and so on. The world appears to be a lawful ordered only because the human mind creates that order. Well, whew, good. <laughs> we, we, we know where it all came from. Right, right. And Kant's world mind is the lawgiver to nature. Uh, does, the, does this sound like uh, uh, a idol? Uh, well, pretty clear. Absolutely, clearly, yeah. yeah. Kant has moved the, con- the human consciousness to the center of reality. So it's not just the mind, the human consciousness. Prime The Primary reality is not matter, but mind. Mm. He said that the world of objects is largely given its shape and character by human consciousness. As uh, philosopher Alvin Plantinga, our, our good friend, that we did, that we uh, saw we, that earlier, yeah, yeah. that um, that uh, Mitch Stokes study under, right. um, explains the fundamental thrust of Kant's Copernican revolution is that things in the world owe their fundamental structure and perhaps their very existence to the noetic activity of our minds. Mm-hmm. And if the mind imposes even the categories of space and time, then in, then it itself um, must be outside of time. Right. Time, Kant called this timeless, changeless mind the transcendent 
transcendental ego. Mm -hmm. Uh, phil phil the philosophical label for this view is idealism. Mm -hmm. uh, the term is not used in the ordinary sense of having high ideals as we kind of come to know it, but that there's an ultimate reality uh, is this is the realm of ideas, the mental realm. And, then, and instead of, uh, of deifying matter, idealism deifies the mind. And uh, conscious structures matter as we know it. It makes uh, consciousness the ultimate explainer. So again, uh, it... it the, the thing that uh, Kant puts in place uh, as an idol is not just humanity, but the human mind. Right, right, yeah. So we impose all these, you know, right. space, time, causality, all that stuff is imposed on the yeah. world by our mind. Yeah, that's yeah. that's your um, your supernatural phenomenon to, to, to Kant. <laughs> Uh, the textbook often said that Kant's philosophy combined empiricism and, and rationalism. Uh, however, on its own premise, there's no way to step outside the human mind and test whether ideas match ex external reality. Uh, the logical concept is solipsism. So uh, if, if, um, if anyone's asked the question of, uh, you know, do you believe that um, there are other minds out there? Uh, you could never know. You right. you only know yours. Right. The only thing I can know for sure is the existence of my own mind. No direct knowledge of anything but its own contents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're still trapped in yeah. us. Yeah, so it, it leaves us trapped, right? Yeah. And so she says that despite the flaws in idealism, it was enthusiastically embraced by the Romantic movement. Right. Many romantics were artists and uh, they were attracted to idealism because it uh, deified the mind over and the creative imagination. Right. So if the mind is the power that imposes order on the world, creating order from chaos, then the artist is no longer just an artesian, but a creator. That sounds very artistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for the romantic romanticist, then the ultimate foundation uh, for truth was neither the senses, empiricism, nor reason, rationalism, but creative imagination. Right. So that became then the ultimate for uh, for the for romantic uh, the romantics. Right. Uh, the romantics were claiming that the imagination generates ultimate truth. There it is, right there. Right. right. And so that's that's the source of it. And uh, and so um, romanticism then was kind of born out of Kant's idealism. Right. And so that's that's where it came from. And it leads, and she will talk about this later. It leads really to the modern. Um, postmodern movement that that we see oh, uh, sure. that we saw especially in the late 20th yeah. century yeah e even within art art the art world had its own you know like cubism and and uh the, yeah the the kind of abstract art um or um taking taking the idea that it's not the artist that uh define meaning but the the art is placed out there and each person gives its own meaning yeah. so yeah. um a lot of those ideas flow from from this romanticism right Right. Because each each mind does its thing to the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm the only mind, so so good luck with that. Uh, so what can we do? All right. Well, luckily we have Romans one. Yeah. And Romans one that gives Christians the ability to identify the idol. Each one carves out some aspect of creation, elevates it to false absolutes. This is uh, what the, what what we've gone over: a single, all-defining principle. This tendency to absolutize some part of creation is the source of all the isms. Writer and Christian philosopher uh, Dewey Weird uh, says, 
Uh, one part of the created order is treated as the whole. Mm -hmm. One piece of the puzzle is claimed to be the complete picture. Right. So you grab a hold of one piece and you say that's what everything right. is like. So it's either empiricism right. or rationalism or the imagination of the mind or whatever. And then you kind of run with yeah, it. Yeah. That, that's all there is. Yeah. And that's, that's the main factor. Yeah. And people write books on that. And have followings. <laughs> uh, so uh, we kind of went over the uh, kind of blind men and the elephant. This mm -hmm. is, is the same way. And so we said that it's the person writing the story that can kind of give us the complete picture and, and say, oh, look at these blind men trying to yeah. uh, see the elephant as, right. as the, this whole. The elephant, what's the elephant like? Yeah. Well, you know, he's only touching the tail, so the elephant is like a rope, right? right? So the same idea here. They take one piece of reality and then kind of make that the whole right. is, is the idea, yeah. And uh, for Christianity, though, however, it doesn't start with anything in creation. It begins with the transcendent creator. Therefore, it is not limited in scope. It does not have to reduce all of reality to a single set of categories. It does not see the trunk as just the tusk or the tail or the, the, the side of the elephant. It is a transcendent point of view that sees the whole elephant, mm -hmm. the God's eye view that philosophers and mystics have always sought. So we're not trapped inside of our own minds. We're able to... Uh, make sense of the world. We're able to um, be able to do science and reason and logic and uh, be creative. Uh, we're able to do all these kind of um, uh, things that uh, um, e even even to uh, to to do economic uh, um, uh, viewpoints because mm -hmm. of what um, what uh, a, a transcendent God creator um, does. All right. Well, so here's the issue then. Uh, so we throw all these things out because they're no good. Well, of course not. Right. She says the philosophies that we've been learning in this book form the backbone of all of Western thought, the ideas that inform every subject area, every academic discipline, every profession. So um, and she says, you know, other subjects areas draw from this same will and and um, but we don't need to throw them out. Right. right. Uh, she says that uh, students have sometimes told her that the main message they get from reading books on apologetic is everyone else is wrong. Right? But uh, she says as Romans one, uh, uh, a Romans one approach offers a refreshing alternative because a counterfeit God is something within creation. It leads people to focus on that aspect of creation, which means that they are likely to uncover some genuine truths, right? right? Because it is something that is in creation, mm -hmm. right? And so she says, so she goes over these some of these various um, isms, right? right? Some of these various idols, and she says uh, that there's truth in some of them, right? I mean, right. in all of them, actually. Materialism, she says, is partly right because God did create a material universe, right? In fact, not only that, but he... Uh, pronounced that it was good, right? So materialism at least has that, uh, you know, there's something good in there. Rationalism gets something right because God did create the world with a uh, with a uh, rationally knowable structure, mm -hmm. right? So there's, there's no problem. Empiricism gets some things right because God did create a world with a sensory dimension, right? And uh, he equipped us with the five senses to function in his world so that we could carry out the, the commands with regard to the world that he gave us, right? Romanticism was right to oppose the Enlightenment worldviews that reduce humans to complex uh, machines, and it was right to assert human freedom and creativity uh, because we are made in the image of God, and uh, Christians should be more committed than anyone else to supporting the creative arts, is what she says, right? So a biblical worldview enables Christians to approach every viewpoint with a free and respectable attitude, 
knowing that virtually every perspective offers something of value. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 one of the reasons why, as a presuppositionalist, you tend to most likely hear, "Well, how do you justify that?" Right. Like, yes, you can do science. Yes, you can be rational. Yes, you can be moral. Even even people who are are not Christian can do all those things and be all those things. But what grounding? What yeah. what justification do you have um, for that? So. Right. That, that that's it. So so um, we're 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 taking the the puzzle box and we're we're putting all the all the pieces in and yeah. and uh, instead that, of just taking out one piece and saying this is the whole puzzle, right? right? And yeah. and that's what two and three and four and <laughs> the fifth principle does. Yeah. So in every age, Christians face the task of identifying what is good and true in the surrounding culture. Uh, the Christian Church was born in the intellectual climate shaped by Greek philosophy. The challenge for the Church Fathers was to design a strategy for addressing that. Highly literate but pagan culture, stifling thoughts and prevailing ideas, they found much more than they had to reject as contrary to the Bible. And um, it, uh, it, she goes on to say that the church fathers also passed on a phrase they borrowed from the Old Testament uh, that, um, that uh, they kind of like uh, took plunder from the Egyptians. So, mm, mm. so metaphorically, the phrase came to mean appropriate, appropriating. Uh, the best of uh, pagan society, including mm. art and scholarship. Mm-hmm. So, um, can can Christians uh, make art? Yes, but how <laughs> how do we make that art? Uh, follows from biblical principles. Um, the the first colleges were born out of uh, of of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, m- many of our scientific discoveries, the survival of the fittest, the um, the uh, different uh, scientific methods um, seem to have stemmed from uh, a, a, a belief in, in uh, a ultimate creator rather than in creation in of itself. Right. Right. So these scientific principles came out of a, uh, a worldview that said that there was a creator that had these various principles in terms of how the creation worked. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, she goes on to explain a, a good uh, kind of dialogue here with Paul in uh, Acts 17 on Mars Hill. Uh, very important. Um, I would I would highly suggest uh, getting this book and, and going over that because uh, that seems to be a, a, um, a big point for us uh, presuppositionalists on how to kind of ap- approach uh, that this kind of don't answer answer or these five principles yeah, in so practice. The basic idea here is you kind of enter into their worldview, their perspective. And then based on that, you show them how it, uh, you know, how, how the limits to it, mm-hmm. right? right? And then you bring them back to Christianity. Right. Right. And so that's the end of the first one, identifying the idol. And so uh, kind of asking the questions of, okay, wh- where is this person coming from? Uh, do they believe only in the mind, only in the sense perception? Uh, do they believe only in logic? And, and from there... You identify, you've identified the idol, and then uh, step two is uh, what we're going to be going into, which is to, to kind of take uh, a look at what are the what are the missing pieces mm-hmm. that that explanation leaves out of humanity. Yeah. And so, good. So this is the idea of she says that we kind of. Um, uh, you know, we re- they, there's a reductionism going on right. when you just take a piece of it, and there, therefore it affects how you view humanity. And so that's part of what we'll see in Chapter 2. Right. So uh, join us next time, and we'll hit uh, um, Part 2. And I'll probably be split into two episodes as well. And uh, go out and watch some Star Trek and, and <laughs> view some empiricism. Yeah. Or maybe The Matrix. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thanks. See you next time.